If you have your Bibles, I want you to just uh, open them up to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be in verse 28. We're going to be looking at um, primarily one portion of Scripture today, just one verse. Ephesians 4, 28. I want to say here at the beginning, if I haven't introduced myself, my name is Ricky Spinner, I'm the lead pastor here. And I just want to say, give you a bit of a report. Uh, last weekend was Easter weekend, and in all of our services... Uh, we had just a bit over 1,400, we had 1,471 people in all of our services. That's wonderful. Now, when I look at that, I'm thinking, okay, this, this is why that's worth celebrating because, you know, we were largely out of our building um, for a year and meeting in all different locations around the city during COVID. And when our first Sunday and back, we met in the cafe because this was under construction, we roughly had about 70 to 75 people in that first service. So in just about two years, we went from 75 to over 1,400 people. Come on, that's worth celebrating. I'll take that. Now, in two years from now, we'll be at almost 3,000. Just keep that going. Just keep that going. I'm just, hopefully that's true. We'll see. Um, I just want to say, though, is thank you for the tremendous response to the miracle offering. It's uh, just very humbling. This church is an amazing church to be a pastor at. Our miracle offering is what we do every uh, Easter and also every Christmas uh, on our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services. Uh, we receive above our regular tithes and offerings. Uh, miracle offering to just say thank you to the Lord, but invest in what God is doing here locally and around the world. Because we truly believe that the church is the hope of the world. We really believe that. When God wants to bless a city, a place, he plants a church, flourishes a church, so that the community can flourish alongside of it as well. So just thank you. Some of you say, hey, can we keep giving uh, to that? Can we still give to the miracle offering? Yep, just use uh, uh, any giving at all, tithes and offerings, but miracle offering, just use the ones that work for you there, and we'll make sure that they go to the appropriate places. And as uh, that's just remaining on the screen, uh, I, um, I just want to say it's good to have uh, Ryan and Lauren Nicewinder in the house with us today. Ryan uh, was on staff with us, and Lauren was on staff with us. Ryan made the uh, United States basketball, which our basketball team, won a gold medal, trying to, said he was going to retire, but now he's going to do it again in Paris. I mean, I wouldn't retire until after Paris either, bro, so good. Uh, it was uh, Thomas the Train, the, the, the great theological cartoon, uh, Thomas the Train, where a certain thing happened. You know, you never know when... You're even watching a cartoon when a great illustration is going to come. The, the scene in the cartoon, the episode starts off with Thomas the train uh, derailing, going too fast, and falling off of the train tracks. Now, you'd think that Thomas the train would be mourning that, that he fell off the train tracks, but in the cartoon, he is celebrating the fact uh, that he is off of the tracks, and he says these words, I am free. I am finally free. I'm off of the tracks. I'm free. He said it three times. Uh, after the celebration, there's a time lapse. It's dark. It's into the next day, and he's still laying there, but he's no longer uh, saying, I'm free. He's hoping somebody's going to come along and pick this train up, and put it back on, onto the tracks, which it does, and, and then finally he moves along his way. When I, when I heard that story, and I and you think about that, 
is that God has laid a pathway for you and I. That if we get on the, the right pathway, and what he laid out for us, the Ten Commandments, if we will live life according to those tracks, it, it's an incredibly blessed life. But sometimes we can get it in our heads. This is true of me and true of many of us in this room where we think, if I can just do my own thing, Truly, there, there's, there's a life, there's a freedom out there that I can find, only to realize I'm stuck. That's not what I thought it was. And now I need somebody to come alongside of me and pick me up and put me back on those tracks. That's what Jesus does. He picks you up puts you back on those tracks. And that's largely what we're talking about in these Ten Commandments. These are pathways, if you will, where God teaches us how to love Him rightly how to love ourselves appropriately, and ultimately how to love others. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.3 3, that in the times past that God wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone with his finger. That's what you read about in the book of Exodus. God carves them out and says, Moses, give these to the people. But he says now in the New Testament with the finger of God, which is the Holy Spirit, he is now tattooing them on our hearts. And so the work, the forming work of the Holy Spirit is bringing your life into the boundaries or if you are putting your life on the tracks of the Ten Commandments, picking you up, cleaning you off, and putting you back on there because ultimately what we're going to find out and what Thomas the Train found out, true freedom is lived on the tracks. And so our next one we're talking about today, the lovely one, number eight, is a simple one. Uh, do not steal. Now, when I'm laying these out, I just think, man, God in his sovereignty must have known that I would be preaching on do not steal on the week when all of our taxes are due. Come on. <laughs> Some of you, this is a right now word. God's going God's gonna to speak to you in the next few moments. When I think about, uh, it's, I think it's important that when we communicate on this topic that we have the same definition. And this definition that I'm about to use for stealing to work on Race Street, which is where we're at now, and Sesame Street, the simple one, okay? And, and that one, some of you will get that later. That's okay. But stealing is this, is when I take something that is not mine. That's it. Stealing is when I take something that is not mine. I didn't earn it. I didn't buy it, but I took it. How many of you have ever been a victim of theft. You've had something stolen from you. You remember that vulnerability? Man, man, there's just a sense of loss and despair. Now, tell the truth. Shame the devil up in here. How many of you have been the thief sometimes? You stole a few things in life. I think a few more hands need to go up than that. I mean, we in church. It's all right. I can't see you halfway anyway. Okay. I knew it. I knew it about you. No. Before we dismiss this sermon, though, and think, oh, man, Pastor Ricky, I wouldn't steal nothing. Let me just give you a few thoughts on maybe to reframe stealing. Um, have you ever charged a meal to the business that really wasn't a meal that included business? Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you ever taken a little bit longer lunch than you were supposed to take <laughs> and didn't report it? Have you ever ordered something that the company was paying for that you know in your right mind you'd never order that on your bill? Have you ever 
been paid cash so that you didn't have to report it? Ooh. How about this one? Have you ever paid for something and they gave you too much change? And then rather than report it, you walked out in the parking lot and said, Ooh, thank you, Lord, for providing for me. Thank you, Jesus. That's a blessing. Highly favored of the Lord. Thank you. Ever been there? Don't answer that question, right? Silent. Don't look at anybody. Sometimes it's not stealing hard things, things, tangible things. Sometimes it's stealing somebody's peace. It's stealing somebody's joy. It can be stealing somebody's influence and acting as if it was your own. Sometimes it's stealing somebody's praise, taking the credit for something you know wasn't something that you did, but you take it anyway because you don't want them to have it. You, this stealing thing is bigger than we realize. And really behind stealing is a principle, and hopefully that will come to the forefront as I, as I continue on. But behind the stealing ultimately is the principle of trust and uh, learning to trust God for his provision. And ultimately, that's what I'm getting to. The heart of the thing is really what God is trying to tattoo on our hearts is that I can trust God to provide for me. I don't have to steal to get it. In, in Ephesians 4, verse 28, is a wonderful portion of Scripture that starts with stealing and ends up with generosity. It says, let anyone who has stolen steal no more, but rather let them work. Let them work and do something useful with their hands so that they can share. With, so that they can share or may share with the person who has a need. Let the one who steals, steal no more. Rather let them work, do something useful, so that when they come across somebody who has a need, they can share with that person in need. There are three words, just three simple words that will lay down the pathway for us that really summarize each one of those statements. The first one is stop, second one is start, and the third one is share. That's it. That's the message. Stop, start, and share. It's a simple. If you're stealing, number one, stop stealing. That's it. That's the advice. If you're stealing, stop stealing. Now, why, why would we want to stop stealing? I think there's some good biblical framework. I think this is important, and I'll, and I'll, I'll lay these out here. In the book of Joshua, there's a story where they're going into the promised land. They've wandered in the wilderness 40 years. And they have a new leader, Joshua, the first city, Jericho. And God says, you're going to go into this land that I, I'm giving to you. You're going to find big cities and big armies. They're bigger than yourselves. Don't worry about them. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you every place you go. Jericho is the first one. He says, now listen, the plunder, when you defeat this, all the silver, the gold, the clothes, the cattle, everything is mine. You can't take any of it because I want to instill in you a principle of first fruits that I get the first and the best. I'll give you the rest. I'll give you the whole promised land, but this first city is mine. Don't touch it. And things were going great. They win the battle. God does exactly what he says he was going to do. But in the midst of the battle, one man by the name of Achan Saw some gold, saw some silver, saw some Yeezys just sitting out there for the taking. 
He says, I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. Took a little bit of something, something, and he took it for himself. You know, when you, when you read that story, there is, is something that I think is embedded in that one act that I think we need to talk about. And this is where the principle of trust really comes into play, is that when I steal, it's a declaration that we don't trust God to provide for us. When we steal, in that one act, Achan was saying this, God, I know you said you'll give us all the promised land, but I don't know if I can trust you to do that, and all I know in front of me right now is some tangible things that if I get them, my future is set. And so he takes this, and, and because he doesn't trust that God will give them the whole promised land. Now, the crazy thing about that is what God had in the future for him was so much more than what he grabbed in the moment. You know what's crazy? Anytime that we, um, we do this, we grab for something that God wants to give to us in, in an appropriate way, in a later way, we always end up short. There was a, a Circle K, the, the gas station change, convenience store chain. This, it was a newspaper article about this, but in one of their stores, a man comes walking in to rob the place eventually, but he walks in and surveys the place and gets a pack of gum or a few, a few bags of chips and goes up to the cashier and lays down a $20 bill. When the cash register opens, you've seen this before, lunges over, grabs all of the money and starts running out the door, leaving the gum and the chips, the drinks and, and the $20 on the thing. Now they had them, had face and everything, but Circle K refused to prosecute the man. They didn't, they didn't send them to jail. They didn't go find them. Do you know why? Because they did the math. When the guy ran out, he only ran out with $14. <laughs> Circle K made six bucks on the robbery. <laughs> you got to think smarter than that. I just thought only you get robbed and you make money on that. But when I think about that, I think that's it always the way with sin. You can grab for it, but you're always going to be $6 short. Mm -hmm. And so it's a bold declaration. God, I'd rather grab this than wait for you to do something better for me. I just really, it's the principle. I just don't trust that you're able to do it. Then later on, in Joshua 7, and God, fight, God noticed. God didn't let it slide. And then it, it, he says these words in verse 11. He says, Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep, and they've taken some of the things reserved for me and put them among their own things. It says they have stolen and kept it a secret. And I, when I read that this week, leave that on the screen. I just, that last phrase, they've stolen and they've kept it a secret. You know, when we steal, we often do so in the cover of darkness. We will often, you can't steal without some form of deception. He says he had to hide it. That's often how you know it's stealing or often how you know it's sin. Is there's a stealth attached to it. And you can't even spell the word stealth without the word steal at the beginning of it. Stealing often involves deception. The scripture says this in John 10.10, 10, that the devil comes. And when he comes, here's how you know he's there. He steals, he kills, and destroys. 
You know why stealing's wrong? Because of who it reflects. It re- it's listed first in the description of the devil. He comes first of all to steal. And where does he often dwell? A great, where does he have great power? One area is just darkness, hiddenness. And so when I think of the devil, the symbol I want you to think of is a closed fist, reaching to grab and to, and to pull back and claim something that isn't his as if it was his own. So the scripture is very clear. If you're stealing, may this be the word of the Lord for us. Stop. Then it says, it doesn't stop there. It says, start. He says, but the one who stole, let them steal no longer, but rather let them work and do something useful with their hands. You know, part of God's provision plan for you is to give you the ability to work. And one of the ways, rather than steal it, God wants you to earn it. Now, let me be very clear, because I, I always try to be very sensitive, because I understand that there are sometimes circumstances, mentally, physically, emotionally, reasons why you're unable to work like the way that you want to. And I don't want this to be an indictment or a judgment on some people. Because I understand sometimes there are circumstances, sometimes beyond your control, where maybe even you need help to sustain yourself. I remember growing up when we were young in my mom's house, there were times where we were living on food stamps. I remember having to go, at that time you had to go to the place and get the food stamps. And, and I, I remember, uh, I used to love those big old blocks of government cheese. Come on, somebody. Get, hey, remember that? Rocking that big old, I mean, I cut the biggest slice you ever seen off that thing. Walking around the yard, gnawing on that. A dog couldn't even gnaw on it, but I was gnawing on a piece of cheese. Come on. And so I, I, I say this with humility, but the Bible does teach a theology of work. God we find him in the first chapter working. He didn't leave the earth that was void and, and without form. He went to work. He, he created things on different days. He was working. On the seventh day, he rested, not because God was tired, but because he wanted to admire his work. And when, and when God put Adam in the garden and Eve ultimately in the garden, he did not do so without purpose. He says, I put you here to 15. He said, I put you here to work. He said, I want you to work, and I want you to bring order. I want you to keep this in order for me. He did it with a job. But Nehemiah, when he's rebuilding the city, Nehemiah 4, he's trying to put a team together to rebuild the city. People were complaining, said it couldn't be done. But he found a group of people, chapter 4, verse 6, where it says they had a mind to work. He looked for people with a strong work ethic, and they rebuilt the city that had lain in ruin for over 100 years. They rebuilt it in 52 days. I mean, get some people with a strong work ethic together, and you can accomplish some things. Now, when Joshua, the scripture says when, in the book of Joshua, when the Israelites, after wandering 40 years in the wilderness and seeing provision for 40 years, every day a million-plus people had manna on the ground when they woke up, fell from heaven, the dew of heaven on the ground, and they ate. And on the sixth day, God said, I'll give you a double so where you have some on the Sabbath. For 40 years, without fail, every day, he fed them quail. He sent a wind, and he fed them meat. God didn't miss a day. But the scripture says the moment they set foot in the promised land, the very day they set foot in this place God had planned for them, the manna stopped. And he said, now you must eat of the fruit of this land. you got to till it, you got to work it, and you can eat the produce of your own hand. 
So God teaches in the scriptures a theology of work. But embedded, I think, in this principle is this. Be a person who, who uh, what I, one of my mentors, Dr. James Bradford, says, who puts more into life than you take out of it. Really, that's, that's where kids, I'm going to put something in and I expect a return, but I'm going to put more in ultimately than, than I take out. When I think about that, let me give you two thoughts and then we'll, we'll move on. The first one is, uh, comes out of Monterey, California. There was a story about a fishery where fishermen would come in, clean their fish, sell it to the fishery, and they would can it and do different things. But while they were cleaning it, they would throw the entrails into the water. Well, as you can imagine, pelicans would come and eat the entrails. It was a free meal. Well, they, they did this for year after year, decades. And whole generations of pelicans grew up eating those entrails until one day the fishery found a purpose and a reason that they could sell it. So they could make a profit so they were no longer throwing the entrails into the water, or the leftovers. And within, once they made that decision, with about roughly two weeks, all of the pelicans died because they'd starved to death simply because they had never learned how to fish. They never learned, in our context, how to work. You know, one of the greatest things that we pass on from one generation to the next is teaching our children how to work, how to earn something, not hand it to them, but you're going to earn this. Come on. I was raised by my grandparents, World War II generation. Let me just tell you right now, this brother knew how to work, man. Then my grandpa worked me to the bone, man. He was a hardworking man. But on the, on the flip side of that, let me say this, just because you have a job doesn't mean that you're working. And once you have that job, do your job in such a manner that it reflects uh, the, the Christian God that you serve, but also it reflects the character that you have for that job. Uh, if you're being paid, you work. And I'll just say this, do more than what you're paid to do. If you'll have the mentality, I will do more than what I'm paid to do, eventually you'll get paid more than what you're getting paid right now. It was Dr. Martin Luther King who said of a street sweeper. He said, if you find yourself a street sweeper, then may I suggest to you that you sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted, like Beethoven composed music. And he said, like Shakespeare wrote poetry. He said, uh, do your job so well that when heaven and earth pass by the street that you sweep, they will say, here lies a great street sweeper who did their job well. I love that. Mm. Let me say it to you, to you like this. And I, I didn't say this because of time in the other services, but often I'm asked, how do you differentiate yourself? And how do you rise in the workplace? This is free, but I encourage you to write this down. First is solve a problem that your leader is facing. Solve a problem that your leader is facing. You want to differentiate yourself? Listen to what they're complaining about and solve it for them. Second, think something through to the next level. Anticipate what the problems are going to be in the future that your company is going to face. Think through it, and then when they get there, you'll be the expert on it. 
Connect with someone who no one else is connecting with. Find a mentor that no one else is connecting with and learn something that can apply to your situation. Lastly, invest in leaders. Find ways to invest in what they care about. And lastly, come on somebody, and this one's real important, save money for the organization. Do it, but do it cheaper. Go under budget. That's free right there. So let the one who steals, steal no more. But rather, let them work and do something useful with their hands. And then lastly, share. Last word, share. It says, do something useful with your hands so that you may give to the person who's in need. So that you may, don't have to, you get to, give or share to the person who's in need. Mm. You know, when I read that, 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 that supposes some things for me. That supposes this, that God has blessed me in my workplace. He has blessed the works of my hands. He has met me in the place of my work. And he's provided so much for me that now I have abundance. I have margin. And that when I see somebody in need, God's blessed me so much that out of my margin and my abundance, I can now give it to somebody else. So when God blesses you and gives you more than enough, it's not so you can be like, ooh, this house is getting small. I need a bigger house. I need a better car. I need an extra boat. Come on, somebody. I need a boat here and a boat there. It's not so you can build bigger barns for yourself. It's so that you can say, God, what do you want me to do with all this? And when I see somebody in need, I can give it to them. Because stealing in the Bible has two definitions. First definition is when I take something that's not mine. But here's the definition that we don't like. It's the second one. It's when I keep something that isn't mine. It's when I keep something. The scripture says when you see your brother in need and you refuse to help them, when you have it in your hand to give to them, brother, the scripture says that's sin. You are keeping something that isn't yours the Bible says this in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. God has delivered the people, brought them from bondage. He's blessed them in a great way. He's restored them, refilled them. They've rebuilt cities. They've silver and gold aplenty. The businesses are blessed, and the flocks are full, and the harvest is plentiful. And God says, listen, uh, uh, one of the things I want you to do, as I bless you, it's important that you honor me with the tithes and the offerings. It's important that, that you don't forget about me. You keep me first because here's the thing the Scripture teaches old and new is that money it really fights for the place of God in our life. And God will always bless you if he can get it through you. You will never lack the blessing and the provision of God if when God blesses you, it can flow through you to others. But he said to the, uh, Israel in the book of Malachi, the prophet, uh, and narrates a conversation between God and his people because what they were doing was bringing God their leftovers. They were bringing the stuff they wouldn't sell in the market. And they were bringing the stuff, uh, the maimed sheep and the lamb rather than giving God the first and the best. And God notices that kind of stuff. And here's what he says. Malachi 3.8, will a person rob God? Yet you were robbing me. But you say, you say to me, where have we robbed you, God? And he says, in tithes and offerings, 
that you have withheld from me. You see, God would say there's a form of stealing where I keep. What is it? I keep. What is it mine to keep? It belongs to the Lord. See, often what is at the root of stealing is two things. A scarcity mentality and greed. And when I have a thought of lack and I see everything in terms of of scarcity, what happens is combine that with greed, I want it now, what you have is stealing. Those two things. So one of the ways that we we can combat that is by practicing, practicing generosity. Because when I give to the Lord my first and the best, when I practice giving tithes and offerings into the needs of others, what I'm saying is, God, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless these people and I'm going to trust that you're going to replace everything that I give. Because you're the true owner of it all. I'm just a steward. I'm just the channel. And if you'll bless me, I'll bless others. And that what that does, because every one of us are tempted with a scarcity and a greed mentality. What's going on with the economy? Interest rates rising. Ooh, I can't, I can't give anymore because of lack. Here's what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So we serve a God who is a God of an abundance. And so rather than have a lack mentality, let's have an abundance mentality. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. The scripture says he meets all my needs according to his riches and glory. And let's pray according to that. Let's live according to his abundance and not what we see and feel down here. John 10, 10, if the, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, destroy and his, he's the symbol of a closed hand. The scripture says in the second part of that verse that Jesus comes to give life and to give life more abundantly. If the devil's a closed hand, then Jesus is an open hand. With his hand, he would bless the little children when he come, they came near. And with his hand, he would touch and cleanse the leper. And ultimately, it's his hands that would be nailed to a cross that would offer us freedom. See, Jesus came to give. And when you and I go from the stealing, scarcity, um, greed mentality... And we end up with a sharing, abundance, I'm going to serve the needs of others mentality. We embrace a different posture. We go from this to this. And so with that in mind, I'm going to ask our worship team to come as we get ready to close. And I wanted to close by telling you this story. It came out of Canada. A 24-year-old man by the name of Danny Simpson robbed a bank with a gun when he robbed the bank he got six thousand dollars when he was caught they gave him a year for every thousand of dollars a thousand dollars they stole so he ended up getting six years in prison when he uh when the when the trial was over and he was sentenced they wanted to to examine the gun in more detail and it was a, a, a 45 Colt semi-automatic gun. But what they realized is that it was antique. And it was made by the Russ Rifle Company out of Quebec City in 1912. It was an antique pistol. 
And at that time, it was worth roughly $100,000. Let's think about that story. It's like he, he's trying to steal something that he already had in his hand. If he just realized what he already had, he would have realized, I don't got to go out there and do that. You know, can I tell you, if, if, if you're a, a Christ follower, and Jesus is Lord of your life. Listen, I'm telling you, you don't have to go anywhere else to look for the provision of God. And you don't have to steal to get it. Because if you really, truly need it, listen, God will make sure you get it. He'll make sure you get it. So with that in mind, let's stand as we get ready to close in prayer. If you're able to stand, please stand. And we do this always at the end. We, we, we believe that the word is a prayer book. And that when you hear it preached, you should pray it. And so I'm going to invite you just again to bow your heads, close your eyes, put your hands out in front of your palms up as a posture of humility. But today it just has so, many, so much more meaning because we're opening our hands to the Lord. You open your hands to give, but you also open it to receive. And if you're here and you need to receive Jesus, you acknowledge that he is God's only provision for forgiveness. He's more than just a prophet or a person. He was the son of God. And he died on your place, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, and was risen by the power of the Holy Spirit on the third day. If you believe that, and you want to ask him to forgive your sins, to cleanse you, he's already been open-handed towards you. Now be open-handed towards him. Receive the son. Say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. I give you my heart. I give you my life. The Bible calls that being born again. Now, I want you to pray a prayer of invitation, surrendering your life to Jesus. But now there's a lot of us in this room who are already in Christ. And you're in a posture of humility as well. Why don't you just take a moment. Where do you need to stop stealing? Has the Holy Spirit highlighted something to you? It could be small as stamps, paper clips. Maybe it's a misrepresentation of yourself. Maybe it's an insecurity that shows up in taking others' praise. Maybe the way you, 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 you steal from others is you, you don't want them to be happy because you're not happy. So you steal the joy. Man, let this, let this word speak to you. And the only reason, when, the only thing we can do when we have sin is to repent. That's the kindness of God. Ask for his mercy and his grace. There's a greater grace. Ask forgiveness. And maybe this one is, is you need to start. Maybe this really challenge you on your work ethic and the contribution you're making. Maybe uh, rather than adding value, you're taking. You're just sitting back. But really God's challenging you and how you work. Just ask the Lord. Say, Lord, would you bless the works of my hand? God, would you meet me in the place of my work? Lord, I want to partner with you in all that I do. And then lastly is share. I just want to encourage you, just obey whatever the Holy Spirit's saying to you. Because I know in this room, God has blessed us. But maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit said something today. And challenging your faith to believe Him. That if you'll put Him first in your resources 
and in the service of others with your generosity. He's more than able to bless you. I know this is hard, but faith is like a muscle. It's got to be stretched to grow. And maybe God is challenging your faith. Just, just respond in prayer to the Holy Spirit, whatever he's saying. Father, I thank you that in this room you're saving. The devil came to steal and kill, but you came to give life. And I just have to believe in this room right now that you're giving life to people. You're breathing life into them in a born-again way. And Lord, I just know that in this room, God, you've spoken. You've challenged us. Lord, help us to practice the principle of trust. Help us to trust you for all of our programs. Lord, help me. Help us not to be grabbing for things. When reality, if we have you, we have everything that we need. But we don't want to keep coming $6 short. We want your plans on your pathway, your provision on the rails of your pathway. So God, if we've fallen off, like Thomas the Train, pick us up and put us back on the tracks today. Lord, we thank you for your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name.